Hi, Christina, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. Yes, my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, so tell us all about your story and how you got to where you are today. Well, my story actually starts with me crying in my closet. <laughs> and if you're a parent, then you understand this because there's a place in your home that you go and you kind of hide from your children and you go talk to your girlfriend on the phone about that and uh, where you don't want little ears to hear you. And for me, that's my closet. And um, rewind a little bit. And the reason I'm crying in my closet was because I was going through a divorce and it was really difficult. It's not something that I chose. It's not something I wanted. And I didn't take it very lightly when he wanted to leave. Um, but it was a pivot point in my life that really changed so much um, from that point moving forward. Because prior to that, it was seemed nice and peachy keen. I mean, obviously, like life has ups and downs and so does marriages. But in general, um, I met him when I was young and we had four beautiful children and things were going okay. And I thought things were going to be great um, until I found out that he wasn't so happy and really things weren't so great. Um, but there comes that point of pivot where it's that choice you have to make, whether or not you're going to continue to cry in your closet or if you're going to pick yourself up from your bootstraps and move forward. And when you're a parent, uh, I think it's a little bit easier to choose at that point. Um, you have these other people in your world who are looking to you for guidance, for support. They want to see what you're doing. And I'm no exception to that. I'm your average parent. Um, and yeah, I made that choice to pick myself up and move forward. And honestly, that was probably the the easy part, the choice. Wow. The hard part is everything that comes on after that because you start to question everything. What do I wanna do with my life now? How's everything's going to change? What's gonna happen now? Do I even wanna cook that for dinner or is it, do I just cook that because he liked it? Do I wanna watch that on TV because I actually like it or is it just a habit? Um, you start going through everything in your brain just rewinding everything going, why do I do this? Why, what, what am I doing? And you need a reset button for life so, so oh, yeah. badly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's where I was. I knew I wanted to move forward, but I needed a reset button. Yeah. I needed to start from the beginning, something fresh. I didn't, I needed to just have a do-over. And then I started going through that process. How am I going to do over? How do I start? You don't really start from scratch, but you, you know, how do you change what is existing and fix it or change it to a place that you feel good about and comfortable and you can live your authentic self. And that's where the hard part came in because it's scary. I looked at myself in the mirror and I actually didn't realize who I was anymore. I had had to come to terms that I had lost myself actually in the last 20 years of life of marriage. Um, and at the time when I'm doing all this self-reflection and I'm terrified and I need a 
the redo button over <laughs> to do start over again. I was in my late thirties. So it's not something like by then I thought I should be, I should be okay by now. This is not <laughs> supposed to be happening, <laughs> but um, tells us anyways. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was time to start moving forward. But when you don't know what you, what you will want to be, where you're going to go, it's baby steps in the beginning. And it's a lot of self-reflection to figure out what do I want? Who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where my story starts, um, is finding myself again. So it was yeah. quite a journey and so scary. Can I tell you, it's so, it so scary. It is so scary. I can't even imagine having that much of a relationship and that much um, built together and then having to restart after that much. I mean, I've experienced it in relatively minuscule amounts and very recently too, where it's like, wait a minute, you know, I think a lot of us do have that experience. A lot of women, especially when we break out of a relationship and we realize like we've sacrificed so much of ourselves to please the other person that we don't even know who we are anymore. And our identity is now up for question. And that can be even more scary than the initial break. Cause it's like, now you kind of have to break up with the you that you thought you were and you get into a new relationship with this person that you don't even know who they are meaning yourself and, and discovering who that is. And it can be scary, but I think it also is really exciting and really beautiful. Yes, it can be. It's just that if you're in that spot and you're listening to this right now, it doesn't happen overnight. And it has to be a very intentional effort to rebuild and to take those baby steps and know that it is baby steps that you're going to be taking because that's the only way it can get done over. I wish it could happen so quickly. It's like exercise. We want just to go exercise once and then be thinner the next day. And it really doesn't work out like that. Um, And when you do this kind of shift in you of who you are and where you want to be and where you're going to go, it's the same thing. Right. Did you experience uh, putting a lot of pressure on yourself when you first started to like really decide that you are going to rediscover who you are and and bring yourself out? Did you experience that you put a lot of pressure on yourself or were you more gentle? I I did not put pressure on myself, I don't think to say, Mm -hmm. but um, I it was just a feeling of helplessness. And I was putting all my energy into trying so much to be hopeful. Mm. I didn't want to get down on myself, which so happens to so many people so easily when you're in a place of low, right? And we all have peaks and valleys in life. And when you're in that low valley, it's so easy to go into a dark place. Mm -hmm. So all my focus was, I can do this. I can do this. Um, I'm hopeful I can make this happen. I'm a capable woman. I can get this done. I can change my life. My marriage wasn't everything in the whole world. I can be without, and I can be okay. Um, and so that was my focus. So hard on myself, not really, but that's just because my focus was really just to keep my head above water. Yeah, that's healthy. I know there are some people out there, myself included. That's what I'm saying. That's why I asked you, because 
it sounded like from from your explanation that you were really like your hope was that your life raft and for some people it can be like this overactive ambition where we're just constantly every little thing is being analyzed and that overwhelm can deteriorate the hope because it seems and I think that plays into that you know where we get so hard on ourselves that our hope begins to just go out the window and because we're like oh I can't I can't be good enough I'm never going to be good enough I'm never going to figure out who I am because there's so many pieces that aren't me that was something I had to navigate through was how to make sure my life raft wasn't anchored to an expectation of how fast this should be how, how quickly I need to change how quickly I need to discover myself and instead, you know, allowing myself to just float and use my hope as a life raft, life raft, use my faith as a life raft to know that eventually it's, it's going to be a different day. Eventually the sun's going to rise again. But one thing that you mentioned that um, I tell people all the time, especially my parents who've lost themselves in parenthood, because it does mm-hmm. happen so often for parents, especially stay at home parents. Um, But one of the things that I mentioned that you um, kind of touched on there is how you're talking to yourself and your mindset. Um, I actually have 12 tips that I give my my parents on how to take start taking those baby steps to rediscovering who you are and making yourself that priority. Um, And your audience can find that it's free. So they can find that if they want it at um, theimpactfulparent.com slash life beyond children. But um, one of the tips I have on there is the way you talk to yourself is critical in that time period of your life. When mm-hmm. you're trying to rebuild and you're trying to keep the hope up and you're trying to just move forward in a positive way, watch how you talk to yourself. Because what we do is we put imaginary boundaries on the things that we're capable of without even realizing it. For example, um, during that rebuild period, maybe I wanted to do something more for me, right? And maybe that thing is exercise. I need to exercise, take care of my body for myself. Okay. Not just for myself. I want my kids to have a healthy mom too, but you know, that's something I do so I can feel good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I used to say something like, well, I would wake up in the morning before my kids wake up in the, before they get up and I'd exercise before they even wake out, get out of bed. But you see, I'm just not a morning person. Mm, yeah. That same, and when you same say language like that, <laughs> you are putting an imaginary boundary on the things that you're capable of. And I think the common mistake that people think here is that imaginary boundaries come in the word can't, and they absolutely do. They say, I can't do this. I can't do that. Yes, that's an imaginary boundary you're putting on yourself. But what they don't realize is that you talk to yourself in ways that can put imaginary boundaries too. They don't even have the word can't in it. For example, I would, but I'm not a morning person. I would, but yeah. Yeah, that it's is like too. That also yeah. a, a boundary. So right. instead, I encourage you to First of all, realize that's what's happening. That's what you're doing. You're creating a boundary on yourself and then shift what you're saying to yourself. Not even shift what you're trying to do. Just shift it into, now I say, I would wake up in the morning and exercise before my kids even get out of bed, but I just don't want to. 
I like mm. laying in bed for 30 minutes before anybody wakes up and sitting there on my phone and decompressing before I even get out of bed. I enjoy that time period. But the difference there is now I'm owning the reason why I don't want to get out of bed. Right. I'm saying that that's part of who I am, that I like to hang out in the morning and lay there for a while before I start my day. Instead of putting the imaginary boundary on myself saying that I can't, because I absolutely can. You can if you want to. You're yeah. choosing not to. So why are you choosing not to? And then own that reason. And little by little, when you start shifting those mindsets and shifting how you talk to yourself, it you begin to realize more and more about who you are, what you want, what's happening in your life that you can take ownership for. Um, but it does start with how you're even internally talking to yourself. Yeah. So it sounds like you have had a lot of experience in changing how to talk to yourself. And one thing I really like about your process that I have not heard before is that instead of changing the boundary or the self-limiting belief to a uh, like self-encouraging belief, like I will get out of bed in the morning, even though I don't, even though I'm not a morning person, which is like super, it's, for me, it's like pointless. I'm not, I'm not actually going to do that. I can say that to myself all day long, but I'm never actually going to live by that. You've actually made it into owning the responsibility we have. So it sounds like that came from some experience that you had. So can you talk a, bit, a little bit about what it was like for you to develop that, that inner dialogue? Well, it's just hard. You have to realize you're doing it first. And it's really difficult because it's an inner dialogue, right? So yeah. somebody on the outside really can't tell you what you're doing yeah, <laughs> because they're yeah, not hearing yeah. it. You're talking to yourself in so your what head. Was your, what was your process like in discovering that? Because I know lots of people have said many different things to me, but I, I, I really like yours and I want to know more. Yeah, I think it's really just um, a lot of self-reflection and being honest mm -hmm. with the things, the choices that I was making. And that's the shift that I made. I said to myself, I'm going to decide and I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to figure out why am I making that choice? And part of that comes with, hey, I needed to know, I needed to know the why so I can figure out more about who I am. Mm. And when you know your yeah. why, then you start to realize who you are. And so it's the why. We don't ask ourselves why so, so many times. We just, we know what we like and we say, okay, and that's what I like. But why do you like that? So I just made an effort to ask myself why consistently all the time with all the choices I make, even the little choices, yeah. because it's all these little choices that define who you are. Mm. So I love that. But you do, you have to ask yourself the why. And I, I will say that a healthcare professional or a coach can definitely help you with that process. They can help you identify more of that because they'll ask you, why did you say that? Why do you think that? But if you're not doing it outside of the hour you have with that mental health professional or your coach, then... Um, you're just going to go a lot slower because now you're only doing it like once a week for that hour or whatever, um, where I just made an effort every day to really ask my why. Yeah, I love that. It's like mindfulness, but going deeper and self-awareness, but going even deeper and applying it to everything that we're doing. Why do I like to drink this? Why do I like to play that? Why do I like to go to bed at this? Or why do I even go to bed at this time every single night? 
why do I force myself to do these things that I don't like? Is it, you know, that's a huge question. And I think naturally I have unknowingly like started to do that and it's really been helpful. And it's just awesome to hear you say it because I didn't even really think that I was doing that, but it, it, it made my process go so much quicker where I was just like, oh, I actually don't like that. I was doing that because of X, Y, Z and it doesn't have any basis here. So I can just stop doing that. And it can help uh, a lot to just remember that we have the freedom of choice and that our self-limiting limiting beliefs, if our why isn't good enough for us, we can actually change them. So if, if it is going back to you know, um, a separation, if the why is because it's a habit, because the, the spouse or the, the partner was the one that liked it and you just went along with it, it helps us to now weed out those things that maybe we don't actually enjoy as much or aren't bringing us as much pleasure that as we could and um, are maybe just taking some of our time and, and keeping us attached to that person, which is, can be the hardest thing in separation is um, realizing that this person isn't there anymore. So you don't have to keep holding on to those little things that you did together. Even if, you know, maybe if you, if you like them, of course, you can still keep doing them, but if that's kind of one of those things I wonder if many people ever get out of if we keep doing the same thing just because it was it was a habit that was developed in a relationship so that's that's huge and I think you're very very strong for even just naturally coming to that own uh, inner dialogue self-reflection and deciding that you want to know why and I think it really does come from that desire to want to know deeper about ourselves so yes, for any of those people that are in that place right now where they're like going through separation, um, having a desire to want to know ourselves better, our true selves better, it starts there and it, it has to continue in everything that we do. And you have to be ready to ask why. Yeah. So many people don't ask why because they don't want to know the answer. They don't mm -hmm. want to see it. And if you're not going to be honest with yourself, then there's no point. There's no reason. So that's where sometimes starting with the healthcare professional is actually helpful because they'll push you a little bit harder than you will yourself. Yeah. But again, you can do all this on your own. It's just a matter of, are you ready to accept the truth and really be honest with yourself? Because yeah, some people just aren't, they're not ready. They don't want to hear that. No, I'm doing this because I like it. And they're lying to themselves yeah. and they kind of know that they are but they don't want to admit it because it's really about I'm doing this because I'm trying to hold on to something that I've lost. Yeah. And maybe I'm holding on to it, not because I want that person back or that situation back, but maybe it's just because if I let go of it, I'm going to be scared. That's going to be a scary place for me. For and sure. they don't see, they don't keep going back to the more that digger, digging deeper and going, why, 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 why do I not want to let go? Why not? Why is it my feeling like this? what kind of what's happening what's you know and they don't dig deeper because it's hard it's That's hard scary. to face the truth and really know but I'll tell you it's very rewarding if you can do it yeah definitely I think you're a very strong woman Wash, I know you're a very strong woman because it is hard and to go through that long of a period and that detrimental of a, of a separation and to be able to be honest with yourself and willing to be honest with yourself regardless of you think being a parent helps I honestly that's it's just as strong. That's a lot of strength that it takes. So yeah, for those people who 
aren't ready, it's okay. It's totally okay to actually need to seek help, to have someone uh, outside of yourself to, to push you beyond your comfort zone because not everyone can do it by ourselves. And it's not healthy to think that we can do everything by ourselves. We really can't. So seeking somewhere, some kind of help, whatever it is, may be for you. For me, it was my faith. And I honestly wouldn't be where I am today without it, but I didn't have access, especially because of COVID to a mental health professional that, and I really wanted it to be in person. So I could go virtual. So if you're looking right now and it's still COVID, I don't, I don't know if that's still happening when this is going to be released, but it is, it is important, even if you have a friend or a close family member, somebody who you can you trust who you can feel vulnerable to and you know that they're going to show up for you and you also know that they're not just going to sugarcoat things and and allow you to stay in your toxic habits which it can be really toxic if we're holding on to something that we lost we're gripping onto nothing we're going to lose our energy so i think that's that's definitely a key for sure is to open up so what was it like for you then um, as you're going through this process of finding yourself, you said it's rewarding. Let's talk about that because I totally agree. It's super rewarding. Yeah, it can be rewarding because you're discovering more of who you are. Um, one of the things that I did in order to push my reset button and to start over is I, uh, I just decided that I'm going to make all new friends. And when you're going through a divorce, it's actually a little bit easier to do this because people feel like they have to choose anyway between you and your partner. And I just let them choose my ex-husband and that was fine with me. <laughs> and not to say that, um, like, I don't, I'm not nice to those people and, and whatnot. Um, I, I still send them cards and, you know, we, we talk cordially, but I made a choice not to really continue to develop those relationships on a daily or weekly basis mm -hmm. and instead to try to find new people who could meet me for me and not know anything in my past not know my ex-husband not know the struggles i've been in the past and just meet me for my the raw christina that i am at that moment in time and by the way, it's really hard to make new friends when you're an adult because you're so out of practice. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but um, ways to do that would be that there's actually apps out there that really are helpful. Um, if you are going through this situation, I want to be able to give you a tip of where to go. Um, there's, um, I know it's like, I think Tinder and Bumble do um, BFF part. Yeah. So it's not to um, meet somebody for a romantic relationship. It's actually other uh, same sex um people who are looking for friendships yeah. and maybe they just moved into town and they're looking for somebody new to hang out with or whatever also meetup does that it's like a meetup.com i think um same thing and what's great about those particular groups is that those groups have people in there that the intention uh, to be in the group at all is just to meet new people so you got people in the right mindset of wanting to meet somebody new, which is a little bit harder when you try to go outside of those kind of apps because people already have their set group of friends and it's harder to break into a group than it is to make a new group altogether where you're all brand new to the group, right? Um, but you certainly can. You, I also joined um, a volleyball league and I started playing tennis again so that I can interact with new people. And when you meet new people and you meet new friends, they now see you for you. Yeah. 
and I, I was very intentional of actually not letting them into my parent life. I didn't want them to know me as a mom, not yet, mm -hmm. not until they I became much better friends with them. So it was interesting to have them see me as the adult me, not a parent, not a teacher, not a whatever. I was just me. And so right. I got to do things with them that I enjoyed and it helps you rediscover and feel good. And they help you through that process because they're like, they'll ask you questions about yourself that you never maybe considered before because they're new and they just want to know something about you. And you're like, oh yeah, uh, do I, do I want to go hiking this weekend? Hmm. Yeah, I think I do want to go hiking. That does sound like fun. And now you can make choices again that you never maybe would have done on your own. Yeah. Because you had these new people in your life. So I think all of that is one of the more rewarding parts of all this discovery process is meeting the new people and getting that fresh start and getting that new perspective on who you are. And it is intentional, though. It's so hard to meet new people if you're not getting out of your house, if you're not, <laughs> you know. If you're, if you're still sitting on the couch, someone's not going to knock on the door and be like, excuse me, can you be my friend? I wish it was that simple. Us introverts are like, but, but why? Yes. <laughs> Let's just do that. And if you are an introvert, I just suggest that, you know, you do it one friend at a time. Maybe it's yeah. not the thing to go to a big group because that could be exhausting for an introvert, but, um, to go to a small group activity where you can be a little bit more personal and talk to one person at a time and it's not weird. Um, yeah. Those versus... apps are a really good idea too, though, especially now with, you know, as we are in this day that we're recording in December, it's <laughs> California just went into lockdown. So it's like, you can't just go join a volleyball league. <laughs> so yeah, those apps, I, I have used the Bumble BFF and it is really nice because it's just such a refreshing way to meet people where you're not like, oh my gosh, this person is trying to have a relationship that I am not. And yeah, you get to just meet people that you would never have met before because maybe they are all introverts as well. And I've used Meetup as well, which is super fun because you get to just, there's lots of different groups. You can find any kind of hobby, any interests and meet other people who have that same interest, which it's kind of hard if you're just going out to the random world and trying to find people who have the same interests as you it's you're kind of fishing in in the in a black sea like what where am I fishing I don't know yeah 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 you are it makes a difference that you're joining a group of people that want to meet new people mm -hmm. because it just it puts the kind of the pressure off and the mindset's right and you're not feeling like you're that weird person who's who has that label on their forehead saying, please be my friend, listen yeah. to me right now. That's, um, that's been like my only issue as an introvert is like, I definitely can get exhausted, but I have boundaries. So I can like easily just walk away. But my issue is like, when I, whenever I was trying to make new friends, is like, I always felt like, even if I wasn't saying anything, like I just had that label plastered on my head. So it like restricted me from even wanting to be like more extroverted. Cause I'm like, I don't want to come on too strong. And it's just like that constant self-dialogue of, those are more self-limiting beliefs as well. So kind of yes, it is. <laughs> allowing you to like work through those. And I've gotten a lot better. This is more or less when I was younger and I moved to different states, but you know, it, it can definitely limit you to, to think that you have that label on you because you don't. And I don't know anyone who doesn't want more friends, especially if it's the right person and you have a good connection, like who's going to deny a new good friend? I don't, I don't know anyone that would do that.
Uh-oh, we froze. Uh-oh. Oh, you're back. Okay. Oh, there you are. <laughs> there you are. It froze for a minute. I don't know why. Okay. I'll just edit that out. <laughs> and when since you're gonna edit this part out, I don't know if your microphone's on. Is it quiet? It says it's on. Can you hear me better now? It froze again. Why are we freezing? Oh, there we go. Back again. Can you hear me better now? Uh, it's about the same. About the same. That's interesting. How about now? Say something. Hello. I mean, it's like it's okay. I'm just surprised with the mic. It should sound a little bit less, um, uh, like it's on surround. Like, I, like it would pick up anything in the room. Oh. Interesting. Um, there you are. You're a little bit better just then even turning the microphone in the other direction. Oh, maybe it needs this side. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Why is one side? Okay, we'll put it over here. Yeah, that's way better. Okay, <laughs> that's so strange. Is it I a blue? Have... Huh? Is it a blue microphone? No, it's Samson. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know that it made a difference. Okay, well, whatever. It sounds a lot better now. <laughs> That's good. I use I, every other podcast. I've recorded it on this side. I just, my plants over there. So I was like, oh, I'll just put it on this side today. Well, I won't do that. <laughs> okay, good to know. I'm going to turn it down a little bit. Okay. All right. So we're back. Um, um, I don't know how much of that I'll edit out because it's not going to make sense. Um, okay. So the last thing we're talking about is, you know, going out and making friends. So yeah, I think it's really important to just take that step to, and, and it's really rewarding to take that step and to decide that you want to bring new people into your life because it is a fresh start. And if you want to get a fresh start, one of the things I always told myself is you can't heal in the same place where you got sick. Like people don't get sick at home and then, well, I mean, now we kind of have to, but they don't really get sick at home and stay at home all the time. You're not really going to get better. You have to go somewhere where the environment is curated to help you heal. And many times that's a hospital or doctor's office, or even just, you know, if you're outside and you got sick, you come home. So it, it is important for us to go into a new space and, in, and experience new things. And that can help us, like you said, discover more of ourselves and, and go more inward and see who we really are. And I love that you brought that up. That was not something I really thought of, but I've also done um, in this transition. I have, this 2020 has been absurd for me. So there's been many times where I felt like I lost my identity and I was like, oh, no, 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 I have to get it back. And so I would cut people out cordially. Like I'm not like exiling them. Yeah. But not putting my energy into them as much. And it leaves this empty space of like, well, something's got to come. And it, you, you're putting now in a space of where you're attracting. And when you can attract who you are versus who you try to be, you're going to attract people that, like you said, will see you for who you really are, which is just such a beautiful thing to experience. So I love that you said that. Um, There's two things in there that I want to highlight that you said I thought were really, really great. And the first one was that you need to change your space 
Uh, for me, I went back to school. I didn't even know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to major in. I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. But again, it's about being intentional about changing your space. So I needed to change something and I wasn't going to pick my kids up and move away from their dad because I still wanted them to have a good relationship with him. So it was, I redecorated my house. So it felt different and I went back to school and that was my, my shift of this space looks different. And the other thing that you said that I thought was really, really intuitive and just awesome <laughs> was um, that you know, you, you eliminate some of these bad things in your life. And I feel like one of the mistakes that so many people do is they eliminate the thing, but then they bring it back. Mm-hmm. And this is, happens all the time in relationships where we eliminate somebody and then we get back together with them like a month or two later. <laughs> um, I know we do it. I do it too. <laughs> so, but, um, but whatever that thing is that, you know, it's not serving you anymore. You eliminate it for a while, but then it leaves that empty space that you're mm-hmm. talking of. And that empty space feels lonely sometimes, or sometimes it just feels sad or it's scary. And I think that if you, again, go back to the why, like, why am I scared of this empty space? You know, why is it that I don't like it? Why is it making me so uncomfortable? And you have to push through the uncomfortable to get to something better. Because if you don't have the empty space, just like you said, then there's no room for something else to come in. So you have to create that uncomfortable empty space to start seeing the shifts that you need in your life. Yeah. And some people don't do that. They're like, I I can't, I I don't like it. I don't like being lonely. I have, it's a Friday night and I should be out with my friends and I'm sitting at home doing nothing. And this is boring and I don't know what to do. So what do they do? They call the ex-boyfriend or whatever it is that your situation might be. Right. Cause you don't like sitting there by yourself being uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, you can do it. (laughs) Yeah, you can sit in the uncomfortable and just keep yourself busy and know that it's a season. And you're just going through a season and the season will change, mm-hmm. but it's, it is, you got, you got to sit in it. There's no other way. Yeah. Yeah. We can't just keep running away from the seasons we don't like, like to make it really lighthearted. I hate winter, especially in Minnesota. So I ran away from it, but I ran to San Diego where I was told it's 70 and sunny all the time yeah. and winter comes and it was not 70 and sunny. It was below freezing. And I was like, I literally just ran away from this to escape this. But that shows me you can't just run away from something that you don't like. In fact, when you do that, you're probably going to end up in the exact same thing you didn't like. So it's really about just getting through it. And not to say that I should have stayed in Minnesota, but I have to be comfortable in whatever I'm experiencing. I have to get to that place of tolerance And I have to find ways to make it more tolerable if I can't just automatically be tolerant of it. I did the same thing that you did. I completely redecorated my house. It's, it's so different. Everything is different and I love it. It's so much more freeing. It's exactly how I want it to be. Whenever I look at something and I'm like, that's out of place, I can move it. The decorations are all mine. Anything that reminded me of the past, I just decided that this was not, I can't keep it anymore. And it's not because I didn't like it. It's just because I wasn't the one that decided to put it there. And I wasn't the one that decided to get it. And so it's not really my 
creation. And I wanted to see what it was like if I started to create and I started to just fill my space. And it's, it was scary at first, you know, my home looks very empty, but still it's full and it feels less cluttered. It feels like less uh, energy is filling the spaces. And I feel like I can breathe and I feel like I am here. And I, I really, you know, I didn't want to move automatically. I thought about it. I was like, okay, well, I could just leave and, you know, go somewhere else. I mean, what is there for me here anyways? I've lost everybody in this state. So I might as well just go somewhere else. And not to say that I'm not going to do that, but I didn't need to do it immediately. I needed to just change my space, not mm -hmm. physically move, but change it, make the environment more healing for me so that this space of loneliness, this time of loneliness, I can start filling with things that are keeping me busy, but aren't just keeping me busy, are keeping me happy, are, are encouraging me to, to better have, have a better relationship with myself. And by doing that, it, it makes the pain just like have no place. Cause you're just like, well, I, I, oh man, I just remembered that, that, and now I'm lonely. But if you have something to turn to, whatever that is, it could be um, a game, it could be a show, it could be making food, it could be faith, it could be um, books, it could be really anything, any hobby, any craft, anything. If you just decide in those moments of I'm feeling this way and I don't want to, to, to just go do something that you do want to do, it actually does change your mood. Even if you're not wanting to, to do that, you know, it can be like that limit of like, oh, I'm too sad to go do that right now. That's kind of the time when I think you're, you should go do it is when you are feeling sad is to, to push beyond, push past that point of resistance um, and into, oh my gosh, we froze again. I don't know if you can hear me. <laughs> Hi. I don't know if you could hear me that whole time. I can. Okay. Next time I won't stop talking. <laughs> I could. Huh? <laughs> I could hear you though. Okay. Okay. I won't it's really just the video because I'm okay, most yeah. of the time I can still hear you. Okay. Well, good to know. I, I won't, I won't stop talking. Um, <laughs> um, so you got to push past that point of resistance. It beyond that glass ceiling that we put our, above ourselves to say, I'm too sad to go there. You, you can just break it. It's it's just a self-limiting belief. You can do things when you're sad. You can, you can get up and you can go move and you can still be sad. You can still be pained. You can still be heartbroken. You can still be lonely and you can still go do things. And I think that was like the biggest uh, realization for me was that it doesn't matter how I feel. I can change how I feel at any given moment. And I have to be able and willing to feel how I feel and still go on with my life. And, and allow myself to move instead of just holding on to that feeling. Cause it's just, it just shows another symptom of you're holding on to something that's gone. But the holding on is really common. And I think there's a lot of people who um, sit and hunker down and embrace the sadness. And it, I'm not saying that don't let it out because you need to release all those feelings. So like I said, I cried in my closet for several yeah. months and that was my mourning period. I was mourning the death of one yeah. life, but there's a birth of a new life that was about to begin. Oh, yeah. um, and again, there comes that mourning period. There's an appropriate amount of time to sit and be sad, but there also comes that point of pivot where you really need to make the decision that the sad, it's now time. 
Yep. I got mm-hmm. that, all those emotions out. I need to start pushing forward now. Um, and I think that a lot of uh, people sit in the sadness a little too long or a little too much because they don't know how to to pivot. They don't know how to make that final choice. They know they want to. Mm-hmm. And what you said where I can be sad and I can still go out and do things. It's so hard, but it's an intentional thing that you did in order to push yourself forward. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize. They feel like I should just wake up someday, feel good so I can get out of the house. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You have to get out of the house while you're still feeling like crap. Mm-hmm. And you got to wake up and take a shower and whatever, do your hair and force mm-hmm. yourself to do those things while you're still feeling like crap. Mm-hmm. You're not going to wake up and feel better and say, okay, I'm now I'm ready to move yeah. on with life. No, it doesn't work like that. You, so. you have to fake it till you make it for a short period of time um, in order to start, start to creating that shift. And if you um, sit and hunker in it for too long, especially as we're are in quarantine and or be emerging from it yeah. soon, hopefully, um, you know, I know so many people who are depressed and sad because they can't get out totally Mm -hmm. valid. Um, but they are sitting in it and not making efforts to, to try to move forward, to try to be happy. They're Mm -hmm. just sitting in the sadness Mm -hmm. when we've been in this for a while, it's, it's time to pivot. We need to start making those efforts. If you, put on your sweats every morning and you're dressing thrumpy every single day, then you will feel thrumpy every Mm -hmm. single day. Yeah. And I'm not saying your clothes makes the person, but I'll tell you what, it does make a difference. Yeah. All those little things, all the baby steps put together is how you move out of it. And it is the baby steps. When I say, Make a goal list, do that. Um, Find a meetup group that you can even meet online virtually with, do that. Um, Whether it's call a friend, do that. Or just wake up and put on jeans today, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do that. It's the culmination of all the baby steps that's going to be your answer and not just one little baby step at a time. I think we belittle the little tiny things that we could be doing because we're saying that won't make a difference. And you're right, alone, it won't, but together it would. So push forward, push forward, you can do it. Yeah, definitely, I totally agree with you. A couple of things that came up for me was, um, first, I I remember this story, and I I think it's factual, but correct me if I'm wrong, where elephants will grieve for, I think it's about seven days or something like that, well, they'll, when one of their family members dies, they'll literally go and they'll just sit by the past elephant and they'll actually like cry and they'll actually just grieve and be there in the present. I don't know if it's seven days, that seems like a long time, but it's it's a specific amount of time that they know instinctively that they have to go be there because they're not just like, oh, whatever, Bill died today. They're literally like, oh my gosh, this is our family member. And that's a very extreme example in animals. But when we lose something that's close to us that we love, 
you do have to take the time to grieve. And I think it's a, there's two sides to this coin where some people will take too long to grieve and others will take not enough time. And they'll just say, oh, whatever, I'm just gonna move on past it. I'm not gonna feel anything. I'm just gonna have my strength and I'm gonna be strong and muster up as much as I can. And that's great, but it can lead to bypassing some of that actual healing work that needs to be done feeling those emotions and, and letting them come through us because energy in motion, that's what emotions are. So we have to let that energy move or it will become stagnant and it will create the same situation again, or it will compound. And the next time that we have to grieve, it's going to be harder or more explosive. And it just, it's really important to take the appropriate amount of time to grieve. And only we can decide that for ourselves, but it has to be a conversation that we have with ourselves of like, All right, I'm still grieving. How long, how long am I going to grieve still? And for me, I, I set a very unspecific time where um, I had these two candles and I was like, I don't know why, but I was like, as soon as they're burnt out, that's, I, I can't, I got to stop grieving. And I actually experienced that since I put the intention that I, I have to kind of follow these candles and like once they're burnt out, I, I will stop grieving. Um, it really works. When a candles got lower, I, I was less pained and I was more like accepting of, of it and I was able to go through it. And I'm not saying to use candles, but to have something, even if it's just a conversation with yourself that allows you to identify how long you should be gr- grieving for, whether you need to shorten it or whether you need to make it a little bit longer is totally up to the person. And I, I do believe, yes, everyone can get through it. The other thing about the baby steps is it reminds me of a book called The Compound Effect, where um, it identify, or it talks about this analogy of if you have one penny and you save every day you double that penny. So you have one penny one day, you add two pennies the next day, the next day you add four pennies, et cetera. It makes a huge difference because the compounded effect of just these pennies becomes millions. And if we look at that in terms of steps, okay, today I, today I uh, did my makeup. Okay, that's all I did today. <laughs> that's okay. You have done one thing today. Tomorrow I did my makeup and I wore nice clothing. All right, the next day I did my makeup, I wore nice clothing and I went outside and I didn't talk to anybody, but I went outside my house and I was comfortable. And then you just keep going and you just keep finding whatever it is. It doesn't have to be those things. Those are just examples, but whatever it is, those tiny little baby steps of how you can begin to feel alive again and begin to show up for yourself in your life again, I think is so important. And those baby steps really do count when we put them together. And I love that. So I want to transition more into talking about some of the things that you do in your work with the impactful parent. I love that title. I think that's so important that as parents, I'm not a parent, but I'm going to be eventually. Uh, as parents, we need to be impactful, not only to um, our children, but to ourselves and to our communities as well. So I can't wait to talk about that, but we're gonna transition and take a little break into the laugh bath. So for those that are new with this podcast, this is, I'm sorry about all those notifications. I don't know how to turn them off. This is the section of the podcast where we play a little game. So myself and my guest or myself and Christina today, we're going to play the game called Two Truths and a Lie. So Two Truths and a Lie, if you haven't played it before, it's kind of funny and I don't encourage lying, but we're going to tell the truth 
after we tell the lies. So it's going to be okay. So we'll each say three things about ourselves in no specific order. Two of them are going to be true and one of them will not be. So um, I'll start. And this is where I put the pressure on myself because I haven't thought about this yet. Let's see. I have lived in... Uh, hmm. I have lived in 17 states. I have traveled to three continents and I have, let's see, okay. Um, I have a kitten named Neo. <laughs> which one's the which one's the lie um i'm gonna say the amount of states that you've lived in yes good job that one was hard i was like literally gonna count and then i was like there's no way i can count how many states I've lived in. <laughs> i know it's not 17 though <laughs> <laughs> i have lived let's see i think it's actually only three but i didn't want to like look like i was counting I think, yeah, I lived in Minnesota, California, and Nevada, and I'll be moving again shortly, but good job, good job. I have been to three continents, and I do have a kitten named Neo. That was an easy one if, for all my listeners, they were like, duh, she talks about him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, your turn, you can go ahead. Okay, I'm going to say, all right, I, I own a snake. I eat my vegetables every day and I It's always hard when you're put on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I have two businesses. This is hard. Usually I'm like, these are easy. I I can tell. I want to say, I really hope you eat your vegetables every day. I do. I think. Yeah, I do. Um, Hmm. I'm a little scared of snakes for some reason. I wasn't when I was a kid, so I'm just going to go with that one. I don't think you own a snake. I do. I do own a snake. Ah, I knew it. I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> not that you like. It's actually like, not really mine. Like it's my son's. <laughs> I, I had a feeling it was like one of your children. Yeah. I, had it. I, I don't know why. I just. Like, but it is in my house and I do have to buy it food. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> I used to love snakes. I even have a picture of myself when I was little, like at my elementary school with a big snake on my shoulders. And I always wanted one. And I even played with my friends sometimes. And now I don't know what happened. I'm just like, don't jump at me, please. Like I get bit by my kitten all the time. I don't think it's going to be any worse, but I don't know something about them. Scary. Um, The way you said the vegetables one was very suspicious. But you, I think you're a healthy person. I'm, I'm going to just take a shot in the dark. You only own one. You only have one business. No, I do have two. Oh, my gosh. So you don't eat vegetables every day? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. 
No, I was just hopeful because I think, you know, I've definitely, I think we've all had periods where we don't eat vegetables as often as we need to. But I think like recently, because I made this like big pot of soup and I love soup, especially when it's cold, like it's got lots of vegetables in it. So, but I, I don't blame you. They're not <laughs> exciting. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your, it's, it's, you, you still look healthy. I'm sorry about all these notifications. Oh my gosh. I don't know how to turn them off. I tried. I can't hear them on my side. Well, then they'll just be wondering why I said that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to edit too much. Um, awesome. Well, so you don't eat all your vegetables. You don't eat vegetables every day. That's okay. I have not lived in 17 states yet. I definitely am going to live in either another one or another country, hopefully, in 2021. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> all right. So thank you so much for playing that game with me. I love just taking breaks and not being so serious and not talking about so much serious stuff all the time, even though it is very important and very helpful. So in this segment of the podcast, I do want to talk about the impactful parent. So what is the impactful parent? What is that business? Yeah. So um, after I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and uh, graduated from my from my master's degree. Um, I had to do a lot of soul searching and figured out that I am a giver, which is one of the reasons I had lost myself in parenthood to begin with was because I was giving, giving, giving to everybody else, including my job, which was a teacher. I was a teacher for 20 years and it's not a nine to five job. I was had given a lot of my energy during the day that I was kind of depleting by the time I got home to my family. And I needed to shift that. I needed to stop caring about everybody else's kids and start working more on my own. Um, I had a couple of emerging teenagers at the time that really needed me. So mm -hmm. I did a lot of soul searching and I decided to found my own business and I named it The Impactful Parent. Um, the Impactful Parent is my place to continue to serve others because as a giver, I need to serve and I need to give and I need to help people. Otherwise, I can't live my authentic self. I don't feel good at the end of the day if I'm not doing something to help people. Mm -hmm. So that's what this business does is I help um, parents of school-age children with just tips and advice and free resources and community um, which I feel is super important. So I don't do babies and toddlers. Um, I felt like they had enough support and enough books out there that they can read and they have mommy groups and things like that. Mm -hmm. But something happens when your child um, turns school age. For a while, it's you get to this nice set of years where things seem to probably to go pretty well between the ages of like eight and 10. Mm -hmm. And then they become teenagers or tweens and the hormones start to kick in and they start to become uh, more independent and try to figure out who they are as individual people. And there's not the support for those parents. And it's a really difficult time in their lives, in your life. It's just hard. And I thought, I, I would love to help those parents. Um, I had, like I said, over 20 years of experience through helping, um, working with teenagers and being able to help parents. I could still help my teenagers, but now I can help them through the home by helping their relationship with their mom and dad, which I honestly feel is like the core of where they need help anyway. Mm -hmm. So 
ah, that's what it, boom, it found it. And that's what I do now is I, I help parents. So, I, and I love it. It's so, it's so rewarding. It's great. Yeah. I love that idea. Cause I definitely agree with you not being a parent, but I definitely agree with you that there is so much resources out there on how to raise young children. And I've worked with young children and it's not that hard. I mean, they're crazy. Yes. They're very um, volatile, but the hormones, I think we all can remember when we were teenagers and tweens, the hormones are a whole nother ball game. And I definitely put my mom through the ringer, um, for years because I didn't know how to properly manage myself. I didn't know who I was and I didn't know how to find who I was. And she didn't have the resources to be able to guide me through that. She only had what she was taught through her parents and they only had what they had. So I think this is an incredibly amazing and perfect niche for this age of we do need to know what our identity is. And, you know, I was blessed to have been born right at the beginning of Gen Z. So I am still Gen Z. I'm the beginning. I'm a baby. But I do remember what life was like without social media. And I know that life very clearly. So I did develop some of my identity before I started being bombarded with other people's identities and influencers and all that. And nowadays when children are growing um, into their tween and teen years, they're born with social media and they're born with those influences. And, you know, it can completely derail our own ability to find our own identity if that's where we're spending a lot of our time or even some of our time because we're thinking, you know, just like in, in magazines or on TV, we used to think, oh, that's what the ideal person is. Well, now it's right in our hands. It's not, you know, on the TV, we only turn on every once in a while or in a magazine that we can throw away. It's constantly in our hands. So it's so much more impactful. And to have something outside that where we can learn how to be impactful as parents and learn how to communicate with tweens and teens about how to find their own identity and how to place themselves in the world in a way that where they don't have to fit in and in fact, they can actually fit themselves. I think that's such a beautiful, um, that's such a beautiful uh, business. And I, I love the like whole design of everything we can see behind you. Like that's a super cute logo. It's, it's just adorable. It's, I feel like they're having a conversation and I feel like the, the, the teenager is like able to rely on looking up to the parent. And I think that that's really what your goal was is to have resources for parents so that they don't feel lost in guiding their children to grow. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about what it was like or what it's been like to work with these parents and, and some of the challenges that they face with their, with their tweens and teens? Well, the challenges vary. Um, a lot of it comes from just a misunderstanding. Um, it usually comes from <laughs> like either we got a parent who is just has their set in their ways and they have a predisposition of what they thought parenthood was going to be like mm -hmm. and then they're when their kid didn't fit into the box it's really difficult so they kind of strong arm it you got that kind of parent mm -hmm. um you have parents that are trying to live vicariously through their children which mm -hmm. this one's a really tough one because it comes from a place of love where they just want so much for their children, things that they didn't have. They think they know better. They're trying to guide them into the right direction. But in the end, they end up suffocating the child and imposing too much um, and not letting the child be the person that they are. Yeah. Um, 
or you have uh, children who are um, have high anxiety, have high depression um, due to whatever, whether it's the pressures from their own family or the pressures of their life that are just self-inflicted or um, just from society, the pressures of today are a lot worse than they were in the past. You must achieve, you gotta go to college. There's some certain expectations that society is telling them that they need to be. Um, and along with that, like you said, everything else is up in your face. Don't you see, this is how you're supposed to look. This is how you're supposed to act. This is the life you're supposed to live. This is the millionaire lifestyle that you're supposed to try to get to someday. Mm -hmm. um, so you get those kind of kids and then you have parents that just don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And they're just at a loss. Um, so lots of different issues. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, just so many, there's so yeah. many different moving parts in parenting today. There's not one certain answer. And I think that's what I also try to convey with the impactful parent is that there's not an answer. There's lots of choices that you got to try on to see if it works for you and your child. But what works for one kid is not going to work for the next. And even within the same family, what worked for your oldest child is not necessarily going to work for your youngest child. Right. Um, so right when you think you've got things figured out, then the next kid comes along and it didn't work. And now you're still at a loss. This happens all the time. And that's because there is no answers. There's choices and you got to figure out what fits. So um, I think that when parents are looking for help, they want an answer. Tell me what to do. Yeah. And really the answer is here's several choices and you need to figure out what's going to work and it's going to be trial and error. And you're going to really need to step out of your comfort zone and you're going to need to do that self-reflection. If you haven't done it on yourself, you're going to have to do it now because sometimes you're going to be a part of the problem and you don't even know it. Um, and that's hard for parents to accept and to understand that they could be part of the problem. They want to think it's their kid. Why is their kid acting like that? And not all the time, but sometimes the parents are part of the problem and we need to take ownership for that portion of whatever we're doing to cause that on our child. We have so many expectations for our children that we don't even realize they're totally subconscious. And again, it's masked by love. So it's so many parents have a hard time seeing it because it's coming from such a place of, I just want the best for you that they think that because it comes from a place of love, I must not be wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. You, you could be just doing a huge disservice for your child. Oh, that's really real. And I think that brings a lot of light to a situation I never really understood, those parents that are trying to live vicariously through their children. I'm blessed I had really good parents. They were completely laissez-faire during those times. They were just like, go do you. And I was like, okay. Um, obviously with some boundaries and rules, but for the most part, like they weren't trying to control me or they weren't helicopter parents. I was really able to navigate the world on my own, which I think has helped me develop into the person I am today. But as I grew, I noticed that there are those parents who are really just they love their children so much that they encourage them to do all these different things. And the children, I think, can get this feeling that they have to do those things because their parents told them that they should. And so it becomes this necessity of like, well, my mom said that I should do this and I want to make my mom happy. So I'll go do it. But it, it can be this like, um, it's a burden. 
Yeah, it's a burden for the parent and for the child because the child is trying to do things that they don't necessarily want to do, but they don't know that they don't want to do. And the parent is trying to encourage the child to do certain things that they think that they would like to do with, but it's, it's just a lot of, I think, lack of communication of like, you know, what do you want to do? What would make you happy? And another thing that comes to mind is those parents that, and this is just from like observation. I never experienced this. I don't have like firsthand, but like those parents that say like, you can't be a quitter. You can't join something and then quit two weeks later. Like I just paid money for the, for you to join this and you did it and you don't even like it where then they're kind of like the kid is guilted into keeping up this thing that they don't like. And of course there are some things where like, oh, you just don't like it because you're not good at it. But for those things that they're really just like, oh, I thought I was going to enjoy this, but I really don't like, it's not fun. Um, Even though I'm not good at it, or even if I'm good at it, it's not fun. I don't enjoy it. There's this like guilt about leaving or this restriction of leaving those activities or that whatever that because of the lack of communication, I think could really be a a burden. And I I love that you, um, that you mentioned those different types of parents, because I know that there are some parents that are listening. And if you resonate with any of those parenting techniques, or you realize that you may be doing that, or you may have a problem, there are solutions. And I love that it's not one size fits all because no person, it really is one size fits all. We all have our own different ways of relating and different ways of communicating. And it is really good to just try and see what works. It's kind of like, you know, people tell you, don't throw, don't just throw something at the wall and see what sticks. Well, you can actually do that. You can just keep trying things until something sticks. And when that one thing sticks, stick with it. Um, and, and keep going with that because if you don't know, you don't know, and you can't just avoid the, the problem, you really do have to figure out some way to fix it. So I love that you provide those resources and that, um, that process. So if you could give like one really good tip for, we'll do one for the parent, one for the child. And we're just going to, I know we just said not one size fits all, but like, if there was one thing you could say to parents to just help them kind of awaken this, um, uh, this strategy of how to better relate with their children, especially during the tween and teen years when they're trying to find their identity. What is your one tip on how parents can show up for their children to help them find their identity? All right. So um, I'm going to switch that around and I'm going to say, cause my tip to the child is really easy. Okay. And that's going to be that remember that your parents are doing what they can. They there is no instruction manual for how they should be raising you. Mm-hmm. And so that they are human and take a deep breath and give them some grace and do your best to communicate your feelings to them mm-hmm. in words. And I have yeah. to say in words, because so many times I see our teenagers trying to communicate in body language and not in words. Mm-hmm. So like I said, they will be, you know, Cause you know, the teen, the teen that puts the headphones on and doesn't want to listen to you or hides in their room or doesn't really want to do things. Those all represent feelings, but you need to actually use your words to, so that your parents can understand what you're saying because your body language is not giving the full story Mm -hmm. and that's causing your, your family frustration. So yeah, do your best to use your 
words. And I, it goes back like <laughs> toddlers, like tell toddlers the same thing, use your words, you know, but um, <laughs> it, it's true for adults too. And now for your teenagers. And I tell, tell the same thing to your parents, use your words. Yeah. So um, that would be my suggestion for them. The parents, since that's what I specialize in is helping your parents. I got, um, the one thing I would say is that your child there are three things that they need from you more than anything else in the whole wide world. And that's my advice to you. There are three things that they need. Every child needs these three things. And if you want a free PDF on it, you, yeah, you can go to um, theimpactfulparent.com slash what every child needs. And it's going to break it down whether or not these three things are actually being met with your child. Okay. So after you hear this explanation, you can go to that PDF and you can work on the questions that I have on that PDF to help you figure out whether those three things are actually being met. Cause you'd be surprised. Okay. Yeah. Those three things. The first one is security. If your child is not feeling secure, their instincts will pull them into a fight or flight mode. And this is going to come out as them withdrawing, hiding in their rooms, maybe even becoming aggressive or acting out. But parents need to understand that their children are craving a sense of security beyond physical. So they need to feel physically secure, like no one's going to harm them physically. But there's also a security with you, the parent, and in love. Mm -hmm. They want to know that you love them through thick and thin, that you will love them if they disagree with you and your ways, mm -hmm. and that you will still love them if they're not that perfect straight A student, because they need to feel secure in the love that you have for them. Again, they can do anything and that you would still love them. Now, I know that sounds easy, but parents will say, I still love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But then they do something that the parent doesn't agree with, right? And now the parent's anger or how they react to it comes out as unloving yeah and so again it's more about showing that security through action and not words like how do you as a parent respond when your child messes up because they're gonna mess up so how do you respond to that and is that are you responding in a way that says i love you or are you responding in a way that says that's stupid. Why did you do that? And they feel less loved. Okay. So that's number one. They need to feel secure that you'll love them no matter what. The second thing that your child needs is that they need to feel acceptance. Your child wants to be seen for their authentic self and accepted for that person. This is especially important for teenagers who are trying on different hats and like trying to discover who they are, okay? And that they're gonna try on these different things, but that they wanna know that you as their parent will accept them for whoever they choose to be, okay? Mm. So this is a little different than loving you. They, not, they, don't, they want, yes, they need you to love them, but they also need you to accept them for who they are. You'll see this a lot, um, really difficult for, some LGBTQ kids who identify with that and they're afraid that their parents aren't going to accept them. Yeah. Okay, they may know they love them, but they may not feel that their child, that, that their parent accepts them for the choices of 
or it's not even choice if you're in that community, but either for the choices that they've made or for being that kind of that person, that's who they are. Are you accepting them for who they are? Um, and so it's super important that kids, they need you to look beyond their choices, beyond some of the actions that they do, beyond all their mess ups. And do you truly accept them for the person that they are going to be someday, the person that they are inside? And the third thing that your child really, really needs is some kind of sense of power. Mm. Now, this one's misunderstood a lot, okay? So I'm gonna explain it. But as your child gets older, they wanna know that they matter. They wanna know that they have an influence and that their existence has a place in the world. Now, people need to have a sense of purpose, everybody. Okay. Growing adults need to know that, the, that they have some kind of impact on, on others and that somebody would miss them if they were gone. Okay. This, that sense is a sense of power that if I do something, something's going to happen. And even the best kids will test this. Okay. Subconsciously, if I do something, is there a consequence to it or a reaction from people? And when there is no consequence and nothing happens, they start to feel hopeless. This is where a lot of depression comes in for our young people when they feel like they don't matter in the world and no one's gonna miss them. It doesn't matter if I'm not here or if it doesn't matter, no one cares. They need to have a sense of power that if they have control of something, okay? Um, so they need to know that they can make a difference in the world and that their choices have influence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope I'm explaining that well. Yeah, totally. That makes 100% sense. And honestly, the last one was the most unexpected. Um, even when you were explaining it, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally needed that. Totally needed that. And I really think my mom needed that too when she was a child. But without that information, we never would have known. But it's extremely important to know that we're not just a random life on this planet. Like we actually do have influence. Everyone has influence, but we can't just say that and expect that they'll know it. They have to actually see how that works and how that plays out. That one was very, that was unexpected. The if first... you have a parent who's a little too controlling, then this is where I would talk to that parent and say, you're not giving your child enough power because they will think, well, it doesn't matter. I don't have any control in my life. I can't control whether I'm going to that. Like you were talking, maybe like that soccer game. I don't even want to go, but I have to go. I have no control. I have no choice that I'm going to that. I just have to go so I could please my parents. When they have no power over their own life, then they feel powerless. Mm. And then powerlessness turns into hopelessness. And that turns into depression. Yeah. One, one thing I want to relate to that one. And I also have something to relate to the first two that I just remember coming across is there was this woman who is giving out food to homeless people, not to say teenagers are homeless people, but, um, and when she was giving out the food, she had multiple different options. And so she would ask them, they would come up to her, she was in her car and they would come up to her window and they would, they would say, please, anything you have, please. 
And she'd say, what do you want? Do you want this one or that one? And they say anything, it doesn't matter. And she says, no, it does matter. Which one do you want? Your choice matters. And they would choose. And you could tell that they, they felt uncomfortable um, having a choice because it wasn't something that they had experienced in such a long time. And to give somebody the choice, you can do this or that or this. I think three is always better than two choices, but it, it shows that they still have power, that they aren't just forgotten, that their influence is not non-existent and it gives them just a little glimmer of hope. So I think that's very powerful to just remember as parents that we need to be able to give children choice and not force them to do one thing or the other, but really allow them to choose. And I think it comes down to, um, as a parent, knowing what healthy choices we can give our child. If we are, you know, those controlling parents and we still want to guide our child in a specific direction, we can still give choices, but it does come down to like making sure that we're not giving them just like, well, you can leave at three or you can leave at four to go to that soccer game you don't want to go to. Like, that's not an actual choice. Um, and what but, you're saying is exactly what I tell my parents. Cause they, mm-hmm. when they hear that, they're like, wait a second, does that mean they just get to do, no, I'm not saying mm-hmm. they don't get to do whatever they want. You set boundaries, mm-hmm. but within those boundaries, give your child some options of yeah. choice yeah. and you have to be creative. And this starts at any age as a toddler. If you have a child who, you know, you got to get out the door in five minutes and they're trying to tie their shoes and they're taking forever. Mm-hmm. You can say, look, I need to tie your shoes today. And maybe they're tantruming and whatever, and they don't want to go. And you can say, we have to go. That's the boundary. We're going. But okay, what's my choice here? Um, you can hop to the car. I can carry you to the car. Mm-hmm. Or what you can um, act like a monkey or a bear and we can get to the car. Like that's at a toddler level. Mm-hmm. At a high school level, same kind of thing. The boundary is, okay, um, it, I'll just take quarantine, for example, right now, because yeah. that's come up a lot with parenting right now is you cannot see your friends in person. Okay. We can't do that today, but what's your choice? We can either schedule for um, a virtual meeting on online instead. We could, um, we can do a, a social distancing kind of meeting in the park at a later date where I can plan it and we can figure out how we're going to do be safe about it. And I could talk Mm -hmm. to the parents or we could what, like, and you, you brainstorm with the child and say, what do you say? Here's my boundary. Now, how can you work with me? Yeah. And especially as a young adult person, have them contribute to the brainstorming process. It helps with problem solving skills. It helps with communication skills. It helps you and you, t- you together, when you start figuring things out and working toward the same goal of, Hey, I, I want you to see your friends. I just can't let you today, you know? So we have the same goal and you, you have to remind them I'm on your side, but I'm mm. on your side trying to keep you safe. Yeah. So that's why I have this boundary. I'm not having the boundary because I'm trying to be the meanest mom in the whole world. I'm trying to have the boundary because I'm keeping you safe. So let's work together on how we can solve this problem and there's so many things in there that you can do to come to a conclusion and actually like really strengthen your bonds along the way but again it comes you got to give them some choice because if you just say no you can't (sighs) no you can't see your friends it's not happening I'm not going to let you that they feel powerless completely powerless yeah 
That doesn't feel good. That would make me feel depressed for sure. Yeah. That's, that's extremely important to remember. I'm going to, I'm actually going to have to listen to this when I'm about to have a child and after (laughs) Um, you you can follow me and you'll get lots of free advice. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up is going back to the first two points um, that they need to be secure. They need to feel secure and they need to feel accepted. Uh, Psychologically, it is life or death whether they are feel secure or accepted in the brain when we're still children and even now. Um, but when, when we're babies back in like the old times when we didn't have like a nice house and we didn't have community and like that. Uh, and there was wild animals like waiting outside for us to eat that, to eat us. If a child, a baby was not accepted or secured into the family, it meant that they would be rejected or there was the opportunity or the, at any moment they could be rejected and sent out to the wolves. And that is life or death. So psychologically, the brain knows that. So if there's any moment in our brains where we feel rejection or we feel insecure or we feel like we're not accepted, especially by our parents, um, it really triggers that life or death. And it's so subconscious that we don't realize that it's that deep and that, that it seems kind of dramatic, but in reality, it is. It is. That's the same kind of thought process that's happening, and it feels detrimental. It feels like we're losing something of ourselves, and it, it in you know the the primitive brain, we're we're losing our lives because our parents, the ones that are supposed to protect us, the ones that are supposed to make sure that we are not eaten by these animals, are seemingly not actually, but seemingly throwing us out to the wolves to just be eaten, and that's something that I think about frequently because I've, you know, as a child, I struggled a lot with rejection and it wasn't from my parents, but I struggled a lot with rejection. And I always wondered why, why is this such a big deal? And when I learned that, I realized that it, it isn't just some societal thing. It's not that I don't feel like I fit in. It's that our brains are literally hardwired to protect ourselves and to make sure we don't get eaten. And we haven't, fully evolved out of that. So we still experience some of those emotions that come up when we feel like we're rejected, when we feel like, oh my gosh, I could die. And it doesn't always come up that dramatically, but it can, especially if it's happening so consistently. And especially if it's from our parents, because that's, we don't really have a choice whether we come into this world. So when we're in it, we're like, oh, you too, you too are supposed to keep me protected because I can't do it right now. I'm not old enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I'm not, haven't learned enough yet. So I think that's just a really important thing for me to remember and for those that are listening to know is that it's not it's not just a societal thing. It's not just a phase that they go through. It's not just that they're insecure in the new way that people are saying, oh, you're just insecure. It's really like, it feels like life or death to the body. So I think those are really good key points. And that quiz is some something I think every parent, especially those of tweens and teens or coming to be tweens and teens should definitely check out. And that's gold. That is gold right there. I knew it was going to be gold when you said it and it was. So (laughs) thank you. And you know, if you have a teenager and I know it's hard because they're keep in mind too, that teenagers by nature are pretty, um, 
selfish and they don't have also the mental capacity to see a lot of consequences. Mm -hmm. So that alone, if you realize that you're, you know, working with that kind of person is very difficult. And of course, some teenagers are, have those qualities a little bit more ingrained than others, but, um, but that's true for every teenager. So that's difficult. Put on top of that, that the, the people that we should feel secure with the most, and we test those boundaries, we're also the meanest too. Mm. So we mm-hmm. see this in um, not even just our parents, like we're mean to our parents, but we're mean to our family. We're mean to our um, spouse sometimes. Um, and we're meaner to them than we would be a stranger on the street where we talk to the stranger on the street so much more nicely and whatever. Why? Because mm-hmm. we're not as secure with that person as the person we are when we're at home. Mm-hmm. So those people that live in the house that you are supposed to feel secure with, you test those boundaries, you become your more authentic self around those people. You show more of your emotions around those people. And teenagers are going through a lot of emotions and all of that's happening. So when they're screaming and yelling at you, and they're being really difficult. I know it's hard to do these three things, but these three things are really the core of what they need. They know they need to know no matter what, you're gonna accept them. No matter what, you're gonna make sure that they're secure. And it's not easy. There's a lot of days when it's not gonna be easy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's a process too. We know you're never going to be perfect. You got to have grace, not only for your children, but for yourself and not only for your parents, but for yourself as well. So love that. That was amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. And, you know, for all those people who want to not only check out the free resources you have at theimpactfulparent.com, I know you do have a few social links as well, and they're not all the same. So I will link them either in the summary below or to the side or wherever it is on whatever platform you're on. Um, if you want to just run through those really quick, I think you have three sure. of them that I'm going to be posting. Yeah. So, you know, you can get what every child needs at the impactfulparent.com slash what every child needs is what it is. Yeah. And um, the same thing for life beyond children. That was that other free PDF for the first mm-hmm. part of our um, podcast today. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all of those platforms um, at The Impactful Parent. You need the the. And I have my own podcast too. My own podcast is called Impactful Parenting. And you can find me all over too, Spotify. Love it. Amazing. So I'll have all those links posted in the summary and go ahead and check them out. Become the impactful parent you were made to be, you always wanted to be. And thank you so much again, Christina. Thank you. Thank you.